This is episode 61 with Hunter McIntyre. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer turned personal performance coach. Each week, it is my goal to sit down and bring you a unique story of an elite athlete's mindset to help you unlock and discover your life's potential. Today, I sat down with obstacle course racing superstar, Hunter McIntyre. Hunter is the current High Rocks world record holder. He is a six-time obstacle course racing world champion, four-time obstacle course racing national champion. He is undefeated for three years running on Steve Austin's Broken Skull Ranch. He is the Tough Mudder X undefeated champion in 2017 to 2018. He is also the world record holder of the Murph Challenge, completing it this past year in a time of 34 minutes and 13 seconds. And yes... That is with the weight vest on. Pretty impressive resume, but I was even more impressed with having the chance to sit down with him. He was gracious enough to invite me up to his ranch up in the majestic hills and mountains of Malibu this past week, and it was some breathtaking views, but I was even more impressed with the conversation. We touch on a variety of topics. What I thought was very interesting was to hear his take on activity trackers, such as Whoop, and the Apple Watch, and where kind of the world of sports performance tracking is heading, and whether or not we should hold weight on these devices and our performance. How does it play a role? And you'll find out how it plays a role in Hunter's performance in particular. We also touch on knowing when to stop and when to push onward through your perceived limits. When should we listen to that voice in our head, and when should we push through it and drown it out? something that I think we all can kind of benefit from. And he talks a lot on just going out and getting after your dreams. 10 years ago, when he was getting into obstacle course racing, it wasn't what it is today. There was, it was the early stages of Spartan racing and Tough Mudder and all these things. But he has really gone out and chased it and made it into his reality. And he's become very, very good at it in the process. And he shares his story what's benefited him. So without further ado, please welcome on Hunter. All right. Well, Hunter, it's picking up well. Um, Hunter, I appreciate it, man. This is the first in-person interview that I've done in quite some time. So I, big been, shoes to fill. I've been forcing people into that lately. <laughs> I called Mind Pump just recently. You ever heard their podcast? Yeah. I contacted them. I was like, I need to help. I, I need a favor, guys. I need to come up there and tell you guys about the project I'm doing. I also miss you. And they're like, okay, they hadn't talked to anybody in like three months. So I'm trying to get people out of their shells. I think that healthy boundaries and healthy communication is what's going to get the world back on its feet again. So I can't say that any of my, my theories will solve COVID, but I think people should come back together like this. It's about to say, it's something to be said to have this not be just through a Zoom camera. Uh, and hopefully the quality of audio is way better. It's going to be great. Um, so welcome to the Athletic Mindset. You are a obstacle course racer by trade. How did you get into this wild realm of sport? Because I don't think it's the traditional route by any means, you know? It started on a mountaintop just like this, about five mountains over. Okay. So basically, I was living in my uh, Malibu for the first time ever. Like, it was my first year of doing it. We all dropped out of college following one guy who had made it really well in the stock market. And he was like, let's just go to California and become rich and famous and we're like fuck it 
We were living in Rhode Island at the time. It's the smallest state versus basically the biggest state in the world. It's like, why wouldn't you want to upgrade to the most massive scale possible? And we all went out there, and I was a fitness junkie. I'd been on the wrestling team, and I'd you know run cross country, so I was working out constantly. And it was the kind of thing where I was like, I don't, I need something with my life again. I need to have that passion, that burn of competition. So we found um, obstacle course racing online, a Spartan race of all things, and. I went all in. I just told everybody in the house, I was like, I'm going to win this thing. And obviously, I was drinking a lot at the time and <laughs> lifting a lot at the time. And I didn't really know what I was doing, but I showed up and I took six out of 10,000 people. So I was like, maybe I'm kind of right about this. Maybe I should pursue this. And, you know, really, it was the kind of thing where it's like there's this, it's almost like a, it was like a fork in the road, but like the fork was so grandiose and it was like almost the Grand Canyon in between. There was literally nothing in between. You had to take a right or a left and there was no coming backwards. It was like, do you go back to college, do exactly what your parents want you to do and follow what everybody else has said is the right thing to do? Or do you pursue this new dream that was like, it, nobody knew what obstacle course racing was at the time. Mm-hmm. It was just like something. And now it's like one of the most like biggest independent sports in the entire world that's not like sanctioned by the Olympics or NFL or something like that. So luckily I took that chance and I took that jump. My parents were pissed, but look where we're at now. We're on a fucking mountaintop of Malibu crushing it still. <laughs> I love it. How'd you manage that conversation with them? What was that like to be like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm just going to race and be a pro athlete, but not in an established pro sports league. It's a little bit different. I mean, I don't mean to, I don't know. It's all right. It, that it, 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 it was just kind of having a pair of beans and just being like, I really just, I, I already was fighting with my parents a lot to begin with. I had mm-hmm. already been in a significant amount of trouble when I was younger. So we were already at like kind of each other's throats all the time. My dad was supportive of it because I think he knew somewhere deep down inside that even though he was a Harvard graduate and all everyone else in the family had done similar things, he knew that I wasn't that person. See, he helped me actually. He spotted me along the way. Come on, B, you're fucking up my game. Um, he spotted me a little bit along the way and helped me out to a couple of my first races. My mom was just gutted. Mm. She couldn't handle it. And my mom and I didn't talk to sick for six months. And now my mom will call me every fucking day begging me to come home or begging me to bring her out here. So she's pumped. And like I think she finally realized it took her almost 10 years to realize that I'd fi- like I was doing something that I actually loved. So that was weird. That was really, really weird. But I think that's like this life in general. And I think now is the best time ever to really pursue dreams because you are able to see how someone's dream such as mine has become like came came true because how much I'm able to post and share on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Everybody's able to pursue these dreams. It's like you were telling me that other girl, like everybody's able to create their dream and then show the world about it. Before, if you had done this 50 years ago, you could have chased your dream and lived in a little podunk town and nobody would have known what the hell you were doing. Even if you were the most successful person ever, it, it was hard to really get the message out. So it was timing and just really hard work, I guess. Yeah, I think the reach is really what separates this time from a lot of other times. It's how I was able to start this kind of thing and get people to listen all over the world. Um, and I never, growing up, I never thought that that would be possible you know what I mean like who cares what someone in Australia has to hear what I have to say or the people that I bring on here so it's pretty awesome why'd you end up pursuing it it's <sighs> a good question I've never been asked that on here yeah. uh, Look, <laughs> microphones on you now I love it um really it was I've always been fascinated with the mental side of sport 
because I think ultimately when you get to the top of whatever the sport it is, it's the mindset that's going to separate the, the very best from the people that we'll never hear of or we don't remember long term. It's not very typical in other places in the country, but every single day, like a half dozen helicopters and little Cessna planes fly over here. The mindset thing's really interesting. Like, I have spent time in maybe a half dozen really, really high-level sports and been with the best people in the sports and hung out with them, lived with them, so on and so forth. And they almost all have the same facial expressions and the same attitudes. Mm. It's like a... It's almost like a stone attached to a body. Like right here is the stone. The rest is just kind of like an actual body. But they don't break uh, in their mindset, their thought, their thought patterns at all. Someone who is just like 1% or 2% behind them, those people, you can tell they have a totally different expression and they're very fragile. Like mm-hmm. I, my roommate this last year, I was talking to him, and he's a very talented kid. He could be one of the best in the world. But every single time I would give him some of my advice for him to get better, um, if I shared it with him, he would break. He was fragile, fragile. He was like a piece of glass, very sharp and shiny, but you could snap it in half like no problem. Those people that are made out of stone, you can tell. Just go around and spend time with them. Your facial expressions across the board are all the same. Mm. And there's one thing about the eyes. Watch the eyes, and you'll be able to tell who the most talented person is based on their eyes. I love that. Yeah, I think that's definitely a reason that I got into it. And the other was to really just learn from people like yourself. And it's the perfect excuse to put me in a room to to learn from you. And then I get to share it with my audience in the world afterwards. And the more stories I hear, the I think the coolest part is realizing that these people that we sometimes put on a pedestal, they're not all that different. There's yeah. just a few characteristics that they do head and shoulders way better than the rest of us in the world. What do you think from all the events that you've done, Tough Mudder to Spartan Racing to High Rocks, what's been your kind of favorite? Because each of them bring its its own unique challenge to it, right? I'm really big into ultra endurance, even though I don't compete in ultra endurance. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the thing that I learned the most about myself and I appreciate the most is the experience of ultra endurance events. Like Tough Mudder has this thing called World's Toughest Mudder, which is a 24-hour race, five miles over and over and over again until the clock runs out. And that's just the coolest experience. Like every single step is different than the last. Some of those really, really high-intensity ones that you do, like the one-mile races and everything like that, it's kind of sad. Like you don't get to really appreciate it because the pace is so high intensity. It's Mm -hmm. so fast and it's so, if you just mess up one little thing, everything else will unravel kind of thing. In that 24 hour race, it's just like, you know, you never go, the difference between like a movie and a play is, I honestly got to put this coffee away. The difference between a movie and a play is if you go to a play, like there's like an intermission and then there's like a second part and it's like almost like totally different story and different energy that they bring. That's the kind of stuff that I love. Mm. Like, there's a backbone trail that runs all the way from uh, the Palisades, about 35 miles this way, and goes all the way to northern Malibu, about 30 miles this way. We run it once a year, and in the very beginning, it's one feel, and in the very end, it's a different feel. And then everything in between, it's just like a rock concert. Like, every song is different, brings different energy. Every mile is different, and it brings different energy. And I fucking love it. I like that perspective. 
I'm a distance swimmer by trade, which is kind of funny. When you say distance, you mean like above 400 meters? Are you talking about like miles? Um, I would do the mile was my event. So in perspective, it's about 15 minutes of a race, which now as I'm learning the ultra scene and all this other stuff that's out there, I'm like, okay, yeah, what I did was it was distance for the sport, but it wasn't distance in the broader sense of the term. Have you ever heard of swimmer in world championships? No. It's uh, in Sweden called Utelu. It's island to islands in Sweden and in Swedish. And it's six miles of swimming and I think 39 miles of running. You should look into that. If you want an experience and you love swimming, that should be for you. <laughs> that might be what has to happen to get me back into the pool. It's been did you a swim while. at a college level? I did. I swam at University of Delaware. Delaware. So. Were you guys D1? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we were mid-major. Um, and it was it was a good time. But what I, what I always like to ask people in kind of your realm of things, I think from a mindset perspective, really, it's unique because you're in it more. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because of the length of time of your events. Yeah. You have to stay mentally strong for longer periods of time, whereas, like, I've had sprinters on here. I've had pole vaulters. Their more mindset is in the preparation. Yeah. Yours is more in the actual execution of the thing. Because For sure. there's, I mean, you're constantly gauging, all right, my, my foot's not feeling good now. What do I do? Or so-and-so's beating me. How do you manage that and navigate that mm. personally? I mean, I just did the Spartan Games out in Vermont, and it was 10 events, six endurance, four high-intensity, like, power. And, I mean, those like the six-hour run and the five-hour bike was the kind of thing where, I just realized I was like I have to have I have to have little wins rather mm. than the big win. It's like it's got like those longer ones especially you have to have little wins within it. So, you know, I was in the bike race I got two flat tires and that was like 5 minutes into the event I got a flat tire. And then I had to like run back down the mountain and I had to like have them switch everything out and then I had to keep on biking back up. I lost 25 minutes right away. Then I kept on riding, and then all of a sudden, like, another 15 minutes later, I got another flat tire, and I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is so bad. Like, I, I, if I screw this up, I'm going to lose the entire event. I was like, I just need to get this tire done, and then I need to get moving. And then I, I thought for sure I had lost the event, and I was like, ah, here we go. Like, I know I'm not going to win this individual event, but I can still win the overall thing if I just focus on lap by lap. Mm. So I was like, this lap, I need to catch two people. Next lap, I need to catch two people. I need to get into, like, fifth place in this event to make sure that I win the entire event. And, like, that's how I sectioned it out. Like, that's what you have to do. Um, because if you think about the finish line the entire time, that's, that's something that doesn't even really exist for the next four hours of your life, five hours of your life. So, it's just like, for me, like, I wanted to have a 315 bench this summer. I needed to win at you know, 255 for five before I could win at 315 for one. So then I had to go from there. I needed to go for 265 for five before I could even get there. So I was just picking these little wins, even though those are 50, 60 gap margins. Yeah. Um, like that's how you have to do it. And that's what I've learned about my entire athletic career is like, rather than focusing on something that's so far away, like a race that I really want to win, I focus on one little win in the gym or, you know, one little pound off the scale or, 
winning a couple times and calorie tracking and things like that. And then as soon as like the training's done, I shift that over to the same exact thing in the race. I was like, did I show up? Are my shoes perfect? Is my hydration perfect? Is my weight perfect? Um, then when I start racing, I'm like, am I exactly in the place that I want to be? What do I have to do by, I know where X, X obstacles are going to be. Can I pass this person there? Can I pass this person there? And then can I hold to the, to the win? You know, that's, that's kind of how I execute. I love it. I think that's the same mentality that I used to compete with. And even now when it's more like recreational runs or something, you pick up those people that are slightly ahead of you and you're like, all right, next half mile, I'm going to pick that person off. And then the next half mile, it's like, yeah, it's always. I don't get how you guys do it swimming though. I dated this girl, (laughs) Caroline Burkle. She was an Olympian and she was only a 200 meter swimmer. And I was like, I can't keep my head underwater for that long. And for someone like you for 15 minutes, like, you basically are blind. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but you're almost blind to what's going on except for like these like lift your head up and look that way, lift your head up and look this way, and you're back to just looking at the bottom of the pool and looking for markers and shit. Yeah. That's devastating. It's it's funny you mentioned being blind while you're swimming. My, I had a mile once when I used to have really long hair. Yeah. Like when Justin Bieber really, you know, popularized that back yeah. in the day. And my cap came off in one of my races like, 200 meters into the mile yeah and i just had this mop of hair just like slosh around on my face horrible podcasting right Anderson. yeah doing, uh, and it was it actually ended up being one of the better like races i dropped like 30 seconds for my lifetime best really um shit and it was kind of it was one of those moments where like you're so preoccupied with that that you kind of forget about how bad it's hurting and you're kind of just get it allows you to just get lost in your own process. Yeah. And then you kind of can focus more internally than what what's going on around you. Do you kind of gauge stuff as you're racing? Are you ever like checking in with different parts of your body? Like I should be feeling like X, but I'm feeling like Y. Or what's uh, that process? I, you know, there's nothing you can really do because if all of a sudden you start to hyper focus on the fact that you're not feeling as good as you should be then you'll start to believe it. Like, belief is a humongous thought pattern that you don't want to fuck with in the middle of a race. Um, I'll put it to you this way. Like, during that bike race, I'll keep on going back to that because it, it was such a dynamic race within a period of time that, like, so many things happened that went wrong, mm-hmm. yet I still salvaged it. I I was meditating in a way that I was breathing and counting, like, one, two, because I basically, the bike race was five hours. Technically, it was only really four hours because if you didn't get out on the last lap in time, they wouldn't mm-hmm. let you go. So it was really only a four-hour race, and I'd already lost an hour. So I was down to three hours. I was having to cover the same amount of distance as everybody else in three hours as they were doing in four-plus. So I was way overworking my body, and I was sweating way past the rate that I should have been sweating. And I knew that I was fucked up. But I just started counting. Mm. I started counting because I realized I was like, if you can just focus on numbers, then you'll forget about the fact that you're drenched in sweat and you're dehydrated. You'll forget about the fact that your legs are so blown out and you know you have to compete in five more events after this. You'll forget about all these things. And the reality is, is like, even though you may, no one really races a hundred percent. Like that's, that's just kind of like, that's, that's threading the needle. Like it's almost like going a thousand miles an hour with your eyes closed and threading a needle. It's a very rare attempt. So you're always kind of compromised, but it's what you feel up top that's truly the way that you get to 
perceive it. Let's say you were only 50% of what you really were capable of that day, but you thought you were 100%. You're fucking 100% as far as you're concerned. Yeah, you could fake it. I mean, for lack of a better term, you could fake it until you make it with that stuff. And you really see the power in that. I, I believed that 100% during my days. And I definitely have teammates that didn't believe that. And it showed... You know, they, their performance would be this really constant up and down. But I think if you can really buy into that line of thinking, you're going to have steadier, higher performances kind of on repeat almost. That's the way to chase it. Like, I used to have um, equipment like Whoop and all these other pieces yeah. that, I mean, I had the the best technology on the planet that was heart rate variability monitors, and I had coaches monitoring me, and I was weighing myself and measuring my piss and everything, like crazy things. And then I realized it was like it was enhancing my performance a little bit, but then I realized it became a crutch because mm. all of a sudden now I realized if my whoop score came back and it was bad, I was like, well, fuck, I'm not ready to race right now. I'm not ready to do my workout right now. And all of a sudden now my entire body and my performance was encapsulated in that one little piece where mm. the reality is is that's a maybe a two-ounce piece of metal that potentially could tell you what's going on, not 100%, versus this 205-pound, like, body of machinery that's designed for performance i was like what are you going to rely on more something you have and you you've built over years or something that may be true and it's all about what the the perception is and that's why i stopped wearing things like that even though it's cool um it fucked with my brain yeah i was about to say it's it's the danger in the sports performance world is there's all these fancy sexy new tools out there and like they're great i mean but like Today, for example, I woke up, my whoop told me I had a 25% recovery day and yeah. that I, I shouldn't strain myself today. And yeah. I was like, well, I mean, yeah, it measured that, but checking in physically, I felt fine. But that's what you I'm know, trying to say. I, like, I, I went out and I ran five miles at a pace that was way quicker than you know I would have if I really listened to this. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would have been, oh, maybe I should just like recalibrate my training and today's recovery run instead yeah so that's the thing it's like those are all for some reason barriers between you and where you want to be and some of them are necessary they're like Mm. red lights telling you to stop and like sometimes that like pain in your knee it's like stop hunter like you're hurting yourself more sometimes like you like breathing like way past your like heart rate capability it's time to stop but then sometimes it's called gaslighting it's just like you need to spray that shit green and I, I, I really like my mindset has always been put yourself in the hardest positions possible. And if you come out the other side um, unscathed, then that's the reality of the situation. There's nothing nobody like, you know, my coaches for years, I've had coaches and they've told me things to do, things not to do. And I followed them mostly. But then I realized like my greatest results always came from when I put myself past where I should have been. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's where growth really comes from right when you get just outside of that area that it could be your own self or it could be what other people are telling you to say hey you you should stay within here this is within the realm of possibility and I think that's something you do really well as you push past that realm of possibility on repeat almost it doesn't matter whether it's a high rocks event whether you're doing the Murph have you ever thought of that about that Not or really. just kind of just go out and do it. Yeah, just go out and do it. Um, I don't put that much of an emphasis on it. Mm. 
Um, I listened to this really good book uh, by Ramdas recently, Bob Ramdas, and one of the things he talks about is desire. And you know, I think a lot of people get they put so much emphasis on things of like their results. They put so much emphasis on the fact that like the girl that they wanted to talk to didn't give them like attention. They put so much emphasis on going out and applying for a job and not getting it. And those are all desires within yourself. And if you just allow yourself to completely fall victim to the fact that like if it doesn't work out, I'm fucked. Or if you just let it just become like another thing in the day or another thing in the year, a week, month, Mm. year. And then you stack all that time up together. You're like, I have a hundred of these years and I'm focusing on so much on this one second and this one moment. Um, it, it fucks you up. I realize that as soon as this podcast is done, I have like 50 other things I'm going to do this day. And if all of them go really well, that's great. If all of them go too poorly, I still have so, I have like 10,000 fucking 20,000 more days. I have to live like that for the rest Mm. of my life. So it's not that big of a deal. And I think that's why I put myself in weird positions. I obsess over it for a second. And then as soon as it's done, I'm on to the next thing. I love that. I love that approach. And I think one thing that really stood out to me recently was you went through your boxes of old awards yeah. and started to put them on display. Can you talk us through what kind of the thought process was that? Because I think a lot of people put it away so that they don't kind of rest on their laurels and get lazy. Yeah. Um, but I think you worded it very, very well, at least on your social media of why you wanted to display these again. Can you walk us through that? Well, I had had all these medals sitting in my closet and I had all these, um, I had all these medals sitting in my closet and I only like really kind of put in my gym all like the really big achievements, like the world titles, the big checks, the jersey to the CrossFit game, the jersey to TMX, some things from Broken Skull. And I was like, those are all my fucking wins. And all of a sudden on my desk over here, I have some of the things that I've really lost badly at to remind myself that I really have to always stay focused. Like I still have some losses in the tank, uh, in the piggy bank that I got to pay attention to. But then I was like, there's so much between. I was like, I've traveled the whole world and I've done all these incredible things. And like, I kind of just like, you ever look at like change? Like you almost don't even care what it does anymore. Like, even Mm. though it is worth money, like if you took like a million pounds of pennies, that's worth a lot of money. But like to us, like we don't even care about the one penny. And I have all this change and shit over here. And like, sometimes I get change and like, I see it in boxes when I'm throwing shit out and I don't even reach to the bottom of it and scrape it up and take it. Like I just let it go in the trash. Does it really mean that to me, that much to me? And then I realized I was like, well, this is all like kind of the filler of my life. But in reality, just because it wasn't a win or a major loss, like that's still there's a ton of significance to me. Mm. I, I traveled the whole world, all those races and everything in between the great wins and the great losses really define who I am. I mean, I've done it for the past 10 years. I've been all over the place and I allowed myself just to create insignificance in it because it wasn't what I wanted it to necessarily be where second places and third places are just as valuable as first places. Maybe it doesn't give you as much cash, but the whole buildup, uh, all those placements kind of lead to the next first place win. And they kind of lead to the next big achievement in my life because those are all kind of, you know, just basically like jump off points for where I wanted to be next. And I was like, fuck this shit. I was like, these things are just sitting in boxes. I was like, this is incredible. 
This is like who I am as a person. I'm going to put it right up in my gym so I can remember every single time that I'm about to go lift a weight or go do time trials. Like, dude, you have like 200 races behind you. Like these Mm. legs have been all over the world and beat some of the best athletes in the world. Like it's time to realize that when you're getting tired, that there's a lot more behind it than you think. And I think that like that ever since that happened, I I actually put it up after I got home from the Spartan games and I was like, I have to create more significance behind what I'm doing again because I think I may have forgotten the, how much I loved it and why I got into it um, because I had started to reach this point where I was paid to do what I wanted to do rather than I had to work really hard to get where I wanted to be mm. and I was told that I was the greatest rather than having to prove that I was the greatest and I'm not always the greatest. I'm not trying to brag and say that but like you get people patting you on the back all the time or kind of like, you know, kind of just holding your hand through things after you reach a certain point. And I realized, I was like, damn, this is, uh, I got to start to have that significance again. Like, I know this seems like an off uh, story, but I'll tell you this one time I did a photo shoot for L'Oreal and I was so excited that I got called by L'Oreal to do a campaign with them. I was like, wow, this is incredible. They flew me out to Barcelona first class and my, my, the guy who was the center of the entire campaign was Lewis Hamilton, the yeah. the race car driver. I had my own area, and they were doing makeup for me, and I was, like, blown away by how much they were taking care of me. Lewis Hamilton had this gigantic tour bus, and then he got out of the tour bus and then got in a Maybach, which is, like, a $200,000, $300,000 Mercedes, like, souped-up Mercedes, would drive a couple hundred yards forward to the photo shoot, had people hold his hand all the way through the photo shoot, take the pictures, and then he'd get back in and go back to his tour bus. And that photo shoot to me meant everything. I bet you that guy didn't doesn't even remember that day. Doesn't even give a shit about it. To me, I still remember that day like it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And um, I don't ever want to lose sight of that. So like that's kind of like the whole story behind those medals too. So I don't want to ever end up in that position again where I don't think if it wasn't like made of all gold, rubies, and diamonds that it wasn't mm-hmm. worth my time. I love that. There's so much to unpack there. I think um, what's really fascinating is I would argue you have to appreciate each step along the way to to have those bigger things yeah, yeah. come into place. How do you manage that now weird, you know, the motivation behind it, right? Like you have the titles, you have the success, you're no longer chasing it. Yeah. You have it. How do you stay hungry and stay pushing towards that? Is it through that process or? I read books about guys like Alexander the Great, Napoleon, um, Hitler, like people that did things that were above and beyond, Mm. far above and beyond what I will ever achieve in my lifetime. I will never control armies of hundreds of thousands of millions. And that's insane to think like I have an I have a staff of my manager, my finance guy and my camera guy. That's three people that are employees of mine. Um, that's insane to me. I'm like, wow, the amount of work that I have to do to get through the day. To, and I have to contact all these people, and especially OCR stars. Now we've got like a half a dozen other people who are kind of like, you know, they're just part-time people. But like I have to contact all them. And I'm like, whoa, what a day. And then all of a sudden I read a book and I'm like, holy shit. Like you took over half of Europe. Like Hitler wasn't even German. He was Austrian. He was the first person to ever come out and come and take over Germany and like did it like all like just in a mind-blowing fashion he was a fucking peasant artist and 
he ended up building himself up to be one of the most important people of all time. And I, people always get upset when I talk about Hitler because they're like, how could you use the monster? He may have been a monster, but he was a powerful monster. And he was a very smart person. And I take the lessons. I don't take the bad form that he, he applied all his mm. power through. And then I think about Alexander the Great and like just their mindset and their ethos to their lifestyle and the, the energy that they brought. Like when they did something, they did it with absolute focus and their, their code of conduct and camaraderie was above and beyond. Like they would never lie to each other. They would never take something for their own selfish moment of the day rather than to see their, their brother like, you know, have less you know what I mean? Like if that brother was hungry, he'd chop off 75% of the steak and hand it to his brother and only take 25% just to make sure he was really well fed for the battle tomorrow. Like that kind of shit. So I read that and I realize that I haven't achieved where I want to be and the amount of work that I have to do to get there is monstrous and the amount of work that I've done so far is just dust in the wind. I mean, that you're only as good as your last success and I'm mm. always chasing more. So those kind of things have always helped me. I love that. It's I think it's very valuable to to read and learn from those that went before us and you can learn from no matter what it is you do, you can learn from people in all these different fields, obviously. You know, taking those uh leaders uh and put it into your actual physical, you know, but you're I'm sure you're taking it into business too with OCR stars. What's that been like? What was the inspiration behind it? I know a lot of it probably came from COVID and everything kind of shutting down in the OCR world. What inspired you to be a leader instead of just sitting around and be like, oh, I've, I really hope that races pick up again? Yeah. Uh, I just had realized that we were in a position where the world was not going to be um, really providing what we as athletes had been experiencing for the past 10, 20, 30 years of our lives we weren't going to be able to see that in the foreseeable future at all. And I just didn't, I was just constantly being told no. I was being constantly being like kind of pushed off. Things were canceled, delayed, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, God, this is just, none of this is in my control. And that drives me nuts. Like I'm very much a person who likes to find something, focus on it and then chase it. Uh, and I was like, if I can't get straight answers from these companies, I'm going to create my own answers. And I realized that these bigger companies like Spartan Race and High Rocks, they were, they were so, they were so big that they weren't going to be able to turn on a dime like myself as an independent and be able to create something like this for the athletic environment, and the community. So I was like, I have the resources. I'm going to take money of my own. My brother lent me money as well, and we developed this business. We created a big cash prize. We brought in the biggest sponsors we could possibly bring in. Um, I want to give a big shout out to Pure Spectrum. Like they're our title sponsor. They've always believed in me. Uh, an incredible company. And like I brought in these like-minded individuals and I said, hey guys, we have a chance. Honestly, we don't know how big it's going to be. We don't know how great it's going to be, but we know that if we take a chance on this thing, we may be able to change the year for a lot of people. So we decided to go. And for myself, like I had never run a business structured like that before. Mm. I, I, I knew business. I knew people in business. But I had never started my own, and now I have an LLC, now I have insurance, now I have athletes, now I have a cash prize, now I'm answering tons of things. I have a website, I have a media team, and all the ideas are in here. People are always coming to me for answers, and I would just have to constantly like give it to them. And now I know my powers and strengths. I'm a great just 
I'm just good at inspiring things. I'm good at being like, you know, just fresh in the moment, quickly coming up with ideas. But then the implementation of it is like a thousand steps. It's not like a turning a light switch. It's mm. like doing all the wiring, finding, you know, sourcing the, the electricity, putting all the wiring through, putting the switch there and then turning it on. There's like so much to it that you don't even see. And that's where the real strength of like my recent life has had to come from uh, is just being able to do these little minute details over and over and over again. And I can see the growth of the company every single day, which is incredibly inspiring. But um, it's it's been a monster and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. But now, like, as I said, on Monday, we switch over from being a ticket sales company to a media company. So mm. we're filming all the time. We're producing the content. We're sharing it with the community. And hopefully, you know, by this thing, the time this is all said and done, like we've inspired other bigger companies who have more resources to be able to give back to the community in a much bigger way than we could have. I love that. And it's funny. I don't know if, if you knew. Did you know all of that was going to be the case when you got into business in no. this line of work? I had no fucking clue, dude. <laughs> I, am, I am like... I feel like that's what, that's the like sticker shock that everyone gets when they decide to go down that route. They're like, oh. Yeah. I just, I never realized that this goes into like just putting a web page out there. Oh yeah. Let alone like all the back end stuff. It really makes you, it's made me never take anything for granted from all these other companies. It's whether it's a small, you know, locally owned boutique or something like that and you're visiting their store and seeing their their storefront how would you describe ocr star style of actual events what does it look like sell me on it uh well we know that this is not a real ocr event um you know obstacle course racing takes a large course with actual obstacles (laughs) a start line and a finish line like the reality of our situation is we created this event because those ca- events can't happen anymore. So this is a virtual event just like the CrossFit Open where there's four events over four weeks. They do five over five weeks. And instead of testing this like gigantic um, arrangement of movements and capacities, which they love to do, we tested the real the real defining factors of what you'd find in an obstacle course race. Like you have to have an incredible capability of running and you have to have an incredible capability of strength, conditioning, stamina, and grip power. So what we did was we split it down the middle. Two running events, two gym events. We wanted the run events to be dynamic in the way that it showed speed and it also showed endurance. So we have a one mile time trial event and a six mile road race event. And that's pretty big spread. Like, you know, you just, you're an endurance athlete. You know that the 50 meter is very different from the, you know, the 1500 meter. So what we did is we created those two. It's really going to be an amazing experience. We will see very similar athletes in those things, but we're not going to see the same exact athlete winning both of them. Now there's another big side of the coin in obstacle course racing. Like runners would win all the time if it was just a running event. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to show this like this grit, this conditioning, this core, and this grip strength that needs to be handled throughout uh, obstacle course race. So event two is called the gripper chipper. Um, it's all about just testing how much capacity you have in your grip strength and how high can you elevate that heart rate while continuing to do complex movements. So you start out with farmer carry into lunges, into toe bars, into burpee pull-ups. Now, 25 burpee pull-ups at the end almost all of us could do and we'd be like oh it wasn't that hard at the end of this workout 
it's devastatingly hard and you will almost barely be able to hold on to the bar. And I've designed these workouts over a decade of competing, so it was really honed in on having a very explosive, speedy, and hard workout. So that was workout two. And then last but not least, it's called Burpee Mountain, where you take a box just like the one that we have our stuff rested on. Um, you take 150-pound dumbbell or 135-pound dumbbell for women, and you treat it like a sandbag. You do two step overs, and then you do two burpee box jump overs. And then it goes four, six, eight, ten um, for 16 minutes. And that was really meant to be almost an in-gym experience of what you'd see in one of our championship distances uh, for Spartan Race, like a, like a, they're, they're big mountain beasts because you're going to be climbing a mountain the whole time, carrying weight, and you're going to be crawling up and over obstacles the whole time, just like a burpee box jump over. Now, is it all perfect? No, but if I was going to take somebody and tell them like, hey, I want to get ready for a Spartan race or Tough Mudder or anything like that, these workouts are perfectly designed for any kind of avatar to experience and then all of a sudden feel like when they show up race day that this is something correlated to what they would actually do. I love that. And I think, it's really neat. Uh, I don't know if you know this. I, the reason I heard of you was because Brian Mazza's High Performance Lifestyle Virtual H- Summit. HBL. And you kicked my ass on a through the uh, computer screen. How'd that feel? And I was like, all right, like let's see what this cat Hunter's got. Like he gave the introduction of who you you are, and I was like, all right, he's a he's an athlete. I don't know if he knows anything about coaching and designing workouts, but we'll yeah. we'll find out. Yeah. I was like, damn, I thought I was good at push-ups. And then you just do it like four or five different push-up variations. Yeah. And what I what I liked about it is I think most people in your shoes can come up with a, a back-breaking hard workout. Yeah. But what I, I noticed in the way you programmed, everything was purposeful. And it was, it was meant to be there. It wasn't, oh, let me just throw together the hardest workout possible because I know what this event stands for. Yeah. Uh, so I, one, I appreciate that. Thank you. And that was, I know if that was your programming for one workout, I can only imagine, you know, putting your brain and expertise behind something like OCR stars. It's it sounds pretty brutal. I mean, it's good. I mean, <laughs> in a good I, way. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to torture anybody. I wanted to test people. There's a yeah. difference. I think what happens sometimes, like, listen, People think I badmouth CrossFit all the time, which is true, but I don't think I badmouth it because I want them to do poorly. I want them to do better. Yeah. There's a difference between torture and testing, and sometimes I feel like what's happened in the world of exercise fitness is they're practicing torturing people rather than testing people. And if you go into this, the greatest minds of high-performance training, like they don't like CrossFit. They don't. And like I study, I you can go it. into my room, you can go to my room and you can see just a hundred plus books on exercise science. And I don't want to take away from what they've created. And I don't want to take away from any business that's created something incredible. But I think that what I really wanted to do with this business is I wanted to see, cause there's been this great debate, like who's the fittest of all of us. And I was like, well, I'll put up the paperwork to see if we can figure that out. So We've got cash, we've got an established business, and now we just got to get the ball rolling. And uh, when it's all said and done, I think this will be something that's improved people's lifestyles and experience of this sport rather than just been another hopscotch event that they had to pay money for. Yeah, I was about to say, my degree is in exercise science, and from that perspective, I absolutely hate CrossFit's programming. And, you know, 
but they've done a great job with the deliverables of the community and like all these other I yeah. guess, intangibles that come with it. It's funny. I'm wearing the the High Rocks Gator, and you've obviously you've done okay at the High Rocks events uh, yeah. from time to time. Whenever friends ask me what is High Rocks, I'm like, it's like kind of like CrossFit but less dumb. Yeah. Like there's I I liked the layout of it. Um, what's been your favorite obstacle course race that you've done? Do you have a favorite or favorite performance even? Um, I like to lean back on my performances at Broken Skull Ranch. Anybody who doesn't know about that, Steve Austin had this show that he would film in the summer times, um, and it was basically like this this bracket that would start with eight athletes where you'd get kind of break broken down every single time you lost they'd get leaner and leaner and leaner down to the last two competing in a wrestling pit mm. and then once the wrestling pit was done that champion had to face the king of all champions which was me for three years running and i had to go back in through the brackets and compete against up-and-comers because they're like oh 101 on a fluke and then they put me back through the brackets two times and i just beat everyone to fucking shit and I love that because I had taken my body away from this athlete that I considered to be like the, the ultimate athlete in the world. And I took myself away from it to focus on Spartan race, this one distance, their world championship. And I did get so emaciated and skinny that I kind of really lost from most of my performances. And I kind of threaded that needle to get through one time. And then I realized that they were going to bring me back through after I became the king of all champions. And I had to rebuild myself. And for two years, I had to continue to keep on rebuilding myself because they kept on bringing in crazier and crazier athletes and almost designing it to make sure that I lost, but I continued to win. And that had nothing to do with me being like this ultimate specimen. Like these guys were all ultimate specimens. Mm. But the reality was, is I, it was training and implementation and they even gave me a check. We did co-ed things, and they're like, for sure, we're going to create this wave that Hunter's team can't win. We still won. And it was the strategy of the – it was the training leading up to the day, and then it was the strategy of the day. And for three years going undefeated in that thing, like, it just it, – nothing made me happier because I lived up on top of these mountains, and I would train in the hot sun like 110 degrees because I knew that when I competed, I had to compete at 110 degrees. And most people, and I'm, I'm a pale guy, dude. I'd be pink and burnt to shit for weeks on end getting ready for this. But I did it intentionally, and I wouldn't allow myself to wear hats, and I wouldn't allow myself to put on sunblock because I was like, I'm not going to have that on competition day. So um, that was a really powerful experience. And, like, you know, I almost felt that during the Spartan Games because we got to wrestle and do strongman events again. And uh, it made me realize, I was like, I, I could still do this. Like, I haven't grown soft. Those, uh, those Spartan Mud Pit uh, wrestling matches look pretty legendary, man. They're fucking <laughs> hardcore, dude. I will say, like, they they built an incredible event, and I hope that it comes back because um, better athletes will come and yeah. will be tested in even better ways. So that's what I'm excited for. I love it. On the converse side of things, in your professional career, what would you say has been your worst performance, and what have you learned from it? Um, I got to host a television show called Boundless a handful of years ago where um, it was an ultra-endurance uh, TV show where we traveled the world doing the hardest races, 10 of them in about eight months. And I lied on my application. I told them I knew how to do everything. I knew how to do nothing. You know, I could run. I could tie my shoes on and run, and I could put 
my bike shoes on and I could pedal, but I was not prepared for any of these. Like these weren't just like, Hey, like local 5k. It was like local 100 miler through the highest and driest desert in the world. And it was brutal. It was fucking super brutal. And I almost failed. I think I, I dropped out of like five or six of the 10 because mm. I could not handle it. Or maybe it was four or five of the 10, but it was still insane. And I just got my ass kicked over and over and over again. And it took until maybe like the second, the last two events for me to actually realize what I was doing. And that's what made me a better athlete. And it took, it was like almost like going into the octagon and getting knocked out mm. eight times. And then all of a sudden the last two, you're like, <laughs> wow, I think I know what I'm doing. And even then I didn't know what I was doing, but still I pull upon those moments for strength, but it was just a terrible showing and I was such a cocky little shit. Like I was like, nah, I'm going to still keep on bodybuilding. I'm not, I don't need a bike. I'm tough. It's like, I do tricep extensions and, uh, it was an ass beating and I learned. And then I, I, now I'm just hungry for it again. I was about to say, is that why you live by the, uh, biceps win races motto? Yeah, for sure. Is that where it came from? I still think, dude, I rip <laughs> people to shreds of these things. But I say I've been admiring them this whole time, and I'm a little jealous. Okay, need to get a pump in. Um, where did the nickname the sheriff come from? Where did that originate? The tattoo come first? Uh, the tattoo? No, no, no. I mean, the story behind it came first. I mean, it was basically like a drug and drinking situation where I would really get to the deepest depths of being fucked up, and I um, had created this alter ego called the sheriff uh, amongst my friends, and it was. It was a wild one, and then I realized once I left college, I was like, God, that was a really good part of my life. I cannot forget about that. I was like, that's who I am. I'm not this person. I was like, that's who I really am. So most of my tattoos are about that, like the trident on my back, this, Macho Man Randy Savage. Like, They're all parts of who I am. They're not like trying to tell anybody or show anybody. Like, None of my tattoos look sexy. They're more of know, just man, like that, that sheriff star. <laughs> women go wild. Um, but the reality is, is like that none of them, they're all there to tell a story and be a reminder. And, uh, that sheriff badge was a good time in my life. I like that. Do you tap into any of those alter egos during your performances, during Macho your man. racing? Macho man, Randy Savage is the greatest, most inspirational athlete of all time. So I use him a lot. I like that. If you could describe your mentality going into competition in one sentence, what would it be? Uh, I I would say I would say destroy all and leave no questions like I would like to go out there and destroy people so badly that no one had the opportunity to be like well what happened if, if this person did this or if he did this like people got to know like oh no he would have won regardless and I'm not a very like angry or like mean person I um I just save up my energy for that, for those one, those times. Mm. And I, I, I actually used to be like that in every event that I went to. Now I can go to events and appreciate them. But if I show up and say that I'm going to win something, I, there's blood to be, there's blood to be seen. Um, I compete at the highest level and the hardest level. So, uh, that's, that's a mentality. It's not necessary for everybody, but it's necessary for me. I love it. It reminds me a lot of David Goggins and he talks about like taking souls. Yeah. Very similar kind of mentality of, because I think ultimately that's what you have to do in those kind of those races, right? You have to constantly go up against these people. And at some point 
one of you guys is going to break. That's going to be who. And you've just stayed unbroken longer than the most, most of other them. people. And then also, impressive. the difficult part about competing sometimes is a lot of these people become your friends and you have to remind yourself that this is your job and this is your journey. Like, you have to remind yourself of that. Like, you can't chill out. You can't, yeah. like, you can't let these people just be your friends all the time. Like, they have to be your enemies some of the time. And you have to shift out of that mindset so that you can work harder. And, um, like, I, I certainly take a lot of things when people talk to me in negative ways, even if they're my friends, and I'll just take a screenshot of it or I'll write it down and I'll remember that forever. And the next time they see me, I... I beat the shit out of them, and I remind them, I'm like, you remember that time you said that thing to me? I've been thinking about it for six months. And they're like, what? And they'll they'll be devastated by that thought process that you, you hyper-focused on one text for six months long. And I know that sounds pretty crazy, but you have to be crazy to be the highest level of competition. Otherwise, um, other people who've got a higher level of crazy will definitely outwork you or out-crazy you. Yeah. No, I was about to say, it's a unique way of thinking, but obviously what you're trying to do is so unique that really hasn't been done uh, before. What's current training look like for you? What's on the horizon? Or I'm taking a chill pill, dude. I think I, 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 I almost, I overtrained myself pretty big time training up for Murph, and then I took mm-hmm. some time off, and then I got ready to get ready for High Rocks World Championships and some other things, and I like got really close to peaking again, and then we didn't peak, and then I kind of like held this like 80-90% fitness for a while, and now I'm just going back into like a bodybuilding phase where today is like a complete rest day, yesterday I only worked out once, usually I'm working out like four to five hours a day. Um, now I'm like working out 45 minutes to an hour and a half and I take two days off a week. So I think it's really important to like have those times. Otherwise, when you go back to the gym, you're not like, God, I like, I want to be in here for another session today, but I, yeah. I know I got to rest. I know I got to rest. And then when you get those double sessions, you fucking rip them up. So I can't wait until that happens again. They, they say the brightest thought leaders or best business people struggle and I think athletes too we struggle with taking time off oh, yeah. but everything that you do especially supports that time off you know what I mean um, I think the average listener out there probably never pushes themselves to the point where like they need a true you know two rest days yeah. a week I would say based off at least for what I've seen you train like yeah it's definitely the case um it's good dude i've never realized how important rest days were until all of a sudden like i started to get really really fit but then all of a sudden the really really fit performances i had really hurt a lot more mm. so now it's like i can pull the bow back further but when that thing comes forward it comes with such force that like fucking whiplashes this arm mm. so understand that there's a act like reaction to every action and I'm not old, like I'm not trying to play the card like I'm getting old, but I'm just getting smarter at not wanting to feel like shit all the time. And like when I was younger, I was like, gosh, I woke up and I peed blood today. Or like, I didn't sleep at all last night, but that's okay because I'm tough. Now I realize I'm like, nah, I don't need to feel like that all the time. It's not necessary. Yeah, I like that. What's next for you? Where can the people listening in here follow you along and support you? Um, I think OCR Stars, if this gets out in time, is a really big part of what I'm doing. It's um, it's important to me. It's important to the people. Uh, you know, I want to see this succeed for my own selfish reason. Just uh, I love winning. I want to be able to say I reached a certain number. Mm. 
and feel that that sense of sense of accomplishment. But in reality, like I want more people to actually get the fuck back out there and do something. I do not want people to give up on their goals and dreams because of certain situations going on in life right now. Like find ways to make it work. Don't put yourself in a bad position, but get after it. Um, after that, I'll focus on writing my book. Like I'm like 50 to 60 percent done. And I, I stopped it so that I could focus on this and mm. make sure that people got what they needed. And um, once that book's done, which will probably be between uh, February and March, um, I'll be back full-time competing. So I will disappear into the mountains for a while, and then I'll come back as a soaring eagle. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll re-release the episode when the book launch happens to boost, you. boost your numbers. To we got enhance, you. To you know, I must say I, I stumbled upon High Rocks for the first event. They did a park tour this yeah. year. Um, that's where I got this from and, you know, did one. So watch out. I think I'm going to. You ready? Yeah, I think I'm going to start coming for your title here. There you go. Uh, in 2021. We'll make it happen. I'll give you one of my guys for free, dude. If you can survive <laughs> that, then you can survive running next to me for a while. There we go. We'll make it happen. Well, Hunter, man, I just want to say I appreciate you. You show up. You're, you were very, very present throughout this whole process. I know you got a million and one things going on, so. Appreciate the time. Appreciate you showing me this, you know, majestic view of Malibu here. People listening, man, we got to get some video up on YouTube to uh, to share it. But thank you. Yeah, of course. Appreciate dude. it. It was a pleasure. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Hunter. I was very impressed with his take on torture versus testing, knowing the difference in the world of exercise isn't always an easy thing to do. And like he mentioned with OCR stars, guys, if you have any interest in learning a little bit more about that, they are still enrolling people currently. I'm gonna go ahead and sign up as well because I love the concept that's there. It's all testing workouts. It's not, it's hard, but there's intention behind each and every workout piece. It's not to the point where we're just breaking our bodies for the sake of breaking our bodies. There's a purpose behind it and I can get behind that 100% and I encourage you all to do the same because that's what this podcast is really all about, right? Is pushing to our perceived limits, pushing through them in a way that is purposeful and intentful. If you haven't done so already, I highly encourage you to share this episode with a friend, a family member, or a teammate who could use another boost. Get someone to sign up for OCR stars with you. It helps when you have someone behind you as a team accomplishing something that is physically taxing. You and I both know that. Get someone on your team as you compete here today. Stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by following me on Instagram at Corey Camp. And remember, if you can f- change your mindset and how you think, you'll be able to change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.